Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's October 30th, 1990. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Some events in history are so important, it's worth pretending they happened twice. So it was when the British bit of the Channel Tunnel and the French bit of the Channel Tunnel were first connected underwater, linking Great Britain with the European mainland for the first time in more than 8,000 years. A moment captured by cameras on December the 1st, 1990, with much fanfare, but actually initially achieved in a much less showy way one month prior, today in history on October the 30th. Yeah, it was on the 1st of December when the symbolic breaking through was carried out for the media cameras. But on this day, without any media cameras in sight, the British side pierced the final layer separating them from their French counterparts with a two-inch metal probe, just big enough, in the words of the British team, to give them a whiff of garlic. (laughs) And the reason they were doing that was to check that the boring machines on either side were correctly aligned to complete the tunnel. The margin of error was something like 20 inches, considering that these gigantic boring machines had been moving towards one another underground for months and months, controlled by completely separate teams. In the end, it turned out they'd done a really good job and that they were safe to proceed and open up the rest of the tunnel once they had obviously got all of their cameras in place. So meanwhile, the ceremonial day saw two workers, one on the British side, Graham Fagg, and the other one on the French side, Philippe Cosette, who were chosen by lottery to be the first to shake hands through the opening. But apparently Cosette got Fagg's first name wrong, saying, welcome to France, Bob, as they shook hands, (laughs) which is pretty much like just going, bienvenue, Pierre, without having properly (laughs) researched who you're going to be like (laughs) shaking hands with. the, The best thing is they did like a catch-up article with these two guys who by the way their names they were chosen at random but their names seem to have been chosen to be the most stereotypical names of their yeah. nation ever <laughs> but it turns out that neither of them spoke the other's language well again representative yeah. Yeah, exactly philippe cosette was presumably practicing under his breath and then he finally sticks his hand through the hole and says welcome to france bob <laughs> <laughs> final construction took four more years after this mm. the channel tunnel didn't finally open for passenger service until may 1994 and this was europe's largest construction project ever and had been controversial and that that comment that you mentioned rebecca about the sniff of garlic sort of hints as some of the reasons why on this side of the channel it was not all enthusiasm from brits who were nervous about spending so much money building a permanent connection with france and actually the the next day after this day was the day of the sun's front page editorial up yours Delors, which concluded, quote, it won't be long before the garlic breath Bastilles will be here in droves. <laughs> and yeah, the background to this was when President Mitterrand had come to Folkestone to sign the treaty initiating the building of the Channel Tunnel, a small but nonetheless, you know, a group of protesters had gathered round his car chanting, froggy, 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 out, out, out. Okay. And there was this fear of rabies 
um, which I remember I was a kid and it was a genuine thing that was in the news. It was things people would say around the dinner table was like, we haven't had rabies here for decades because we've got a really tight grip on it. To the extent that Eurotunnel had to issue a leaflet explaining the safeguards that had been taken to make sure. Explaining that the French are not rabid. (laughs) Well, no, that if if a random fox stumbled into one of the three tunnels that they were it's not going to make it yeah yeah electrified grids and poison pellets and surveillance and the whole bit well another very minor slap in the face uh, between these two handshaking gentlemen was that uh, Cosette had brought a present which admittedly wasn't the world's greatest present he'd uh, dug up a piece of chalk from the French side of the tunnel and attached a red white and blue ribbon to it the colors of both England and France you know it's it's nice in its symbolism it's just not a wonderful thing that you know it's not like a, a Rolex that you're going to stick on your wrist and be like, and live with forever But Fag hadn't actually brought any gift, in part because he hadn't been told that he was going to be the one who was doing this sort of symbolic breakthrough the next morning until the day before when his boss said to him, it's you. And he said, apparently, you're bloody joking. I've got plans for tomorrow. (laughs) And and his boss just turned to him and he said, I'm really sorry, but you're going to have to change them. And so Fag, turning up with no gift at all, had nothing on him except his identification token, which is pretty much like a soldier's dog tags, a thing that you could identify a minor with if they were in an, an accident. So he ripped it off and gave it to Cosette. And that was what he had to give him. This is why the British Army and the Navy specialize in the pomp and circumstance that you see around royal events and stuff, because that's their bag. Construction workers from a tunnel are not people who are good at organising big, lavish events. Nope. (laughs) No, but the French were considerably better at it than the British, which is what the British workers noticed when the hole was finally big enough for the two teams to socialise. Fag said they had champagne, wine, food, and we only had tea, coffee and water, maybe a sandwich if you were lucky. And the French workers were allowed to smoke, which sounds like a horrifying prospect. That was not allowed on the British side, which I think they got right. And they did at some point exchange formal gifts between the teams even though Fag had forgotten to bring a gift for the initial handshake the French gave the British champagne which I think sounds like it would have been welcome it sounds like they were pretty champagne starved on the British side and the (laughs) Brits gave the French a soft toy of Paddington Bear (laughs) again that's perfect but actually it's funny isn't it because you make it sound like it's a perk of working on the French side that you get wine it's more a case of genuinely in the 1990s you would not have been able to get enough French construction workers to Mm. do this horrible job that killed people unless there was wine at lunchtime if you told them there wouldn't be wine there wouldn't be enough of them I mean that was the reality of it well they had pretty different working cultures as well notably the French gave their boring machines women's names like Virginie and Brigitte and the Brits preferred to stick with the names on the labels like marine service tunnel boring machine (laughs) (laughs) actually the British boring machine was biffed out of the way today in history when the when the two bits met uh, it, its cutting head became entombed forever below the channel. And the yeah, they turned it sideways through. like a caterpillar yeah. and sort of like burrowed it into the wall because how are you going to get it out? Well, going back a step, plans for at least the idea of the channel go right back to the beginning of the 1800s when there really was this idea that a a link between uh, the British Isles and the mainland of Europe would be useful. If, say, you were an emperor going about colonising Europe. 
Right. Convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the very first plan was made by the French engineer Albert Matthew Favier, and he called for a tunnel to be dug under the English Channel, which I can only imagine must have seemed like the most bonkers concept at the time. You know, the, like we have bridges. They, that would have seemed like the more sensible solution. And in fact, when they finally got round to building the channel in the 80s and 90s, there were various bridges proposed that eventually got nixed in favour of a channel tunnel. But also back then, in the 1800s, it would have been for horse-drawn carriages, of course, right. not for trains. That's so right. you've yeah. got the extra component of, like, would livestock go marching under the ocean for hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mathieu Favier's original scheme included an artificial island in the middle of the channel where you would change horses. So the, his actual design was pretty <laughs> similar fine. to the one they did, the tunnel under the seabed, but he correctly realised that well, the horses aren't just going to mill around it forever at the, you know, in, the, in a tunnel at the bottom of the sea. So you would have to go up to the surface, change horses and go back down again somehow. What? I mean, you know, his idea was obviously quite fanciful, but by the middle of the 1800s, the technology was there, partly because if we talked about it in the Tunnel Under the Thames episode, Mark Isambard Brunel's tunnelling shield that changed everything. It seems like it wasn't really a technological issue, even though mm. it would have been really, really difficult to do this in Victorian times. It was the fact that even though Britain and France had been at peace for a while by the Victorian era, when it came to building a physical link between the two countries, it's like psychologically, neither country was quite there yet. And in fact, even over this time before the, the tunnelling proper got going, there had actually been early efforts to begin some sort of drilling, I presume in a sort of expeditionary way to determine soil types and whether it was going to be possible at all. But they had always fallen through. Partly it was like financial problems that would hold it up, but a lot of the time it was political discord. There was just this great fear, especially in Britain, of invasion, that they were like, if we open this up, it's kind of a hell mouth and, and who knows what could come through it. Although, interestingly, not necessarily from the very highest echelons of the British establishment. So the the most incredible uh, attempt to do this before the late 20th century was in 1880, Sir Edward Watkin began drilling two underwater tunnels. They actually, you know, still used a portion of his work in the final Channel Tunnel. Mm. And he funded it privately because he'd been turned down for public funds. So he formed a new company, this is very Victorian, the Submarine Continental Railway Company, <laughs> and did it for two years, this drilling. And visitors to his nascent tunnel included the Prime Minister and Mrs Gladstone, the Prince of Wales and the Archbishop of Canterbury. So it's not as if people mm. thought this was a ludicrous idea. They wanted to see it. It's Parliament that overturned this being a goer. Partly, as you say, financially, but partly just, to use another French word, the real politique. So Edward Watkin at one point suggested that in the event of a conflict, the entrance of the tunnel could be collapsed with a mine that was wired to a button somewhere possibly even as far away as London. So, like, the idea was, let's build this tunnel. Yes, we'll have a link between the two nations, but just in case, we'll be able to detonate the whole thing and just explode it. <laughs> now, this episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 